0: Chapter six of Craddock Knoll a tale of the new forest volume two by Richard Doddridge Blackmore this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by Lynn Thompson Chapter six Eoa was now sixteen years old tall and lithe and graceful as the creepers of tropic woodlands her face was of the clearest oval a quick concise terse oval such as we find in the eggs of wild birds rather than of tame ones her eyes were of bewildering brightness always flashing always in motion rarely allowing the gazer a chance of guessing what their colour was very likely they were of no positive colour but a pure dark lustre such as a clear swift river has when overhung by palm trees her complexion beautifully soft and even was toned with a delicate eastern tinge like that fawn-coloured light which sometimes flushes a cloudless sky before the midsummer sunrise and her warm oriental blood suffused it at the slightest emotion as the leaping sun pervades that sky with a flood of limpid rubies she had never been flattened by education all her qualities and feelings like her beauty were in excess you could see it in the quick rise and fall of her breath in the sudden grace of her movements in the infinite variety of her attitudes and aspects whatever she thought she said at once yet none ever called her a bold girl her modes of thought were as widely different from those of an english maiden as a wild honeysuckle differs in form, habit, and scent from a rose. She cared for no one's opinion of her any more than the wind cares how a tree swings, unless, indeed, it were one whom she loved, and then she would crawl to please him, for she loved with all her heart and soul, and hated with no less, and she always took care in either case to apprise the object of it. And yet, with all her depth of passion, EoA was pure of heart and mind, ay, as pure as our own Amy. She soon recovered from her bruises, being perfectly healthy and elastic as India-rubber. Nevertheless, she would not have been saved from that terrible sea but for the generosity of poor Captain Roberts and the gallantry of Bob Garnet. Now, Bob was hurt rather seriously. And being as we are well aware an uncommonly shy young fellow He was greatly astonished and shocked a little when on the Friday morning a beautiful girl very strangely dressed ran to the side of his sofa Threw her arms round him and kissed him till he was out of breath and his face was wet with the dew of her tears Oh, please don't said Bob. I'm sure I don't deserve it Yes, you do and I will marry you when I am old enough. I don't know what you are like, and I don't care two straws directly they told me what you had done. Only I must have papa's leave. Kiss me again. I like it. Now, where is my darling papa? What? Don't you know? Haven't they told you? Oh, poor thing. At the tone of his voice, she leaped back like a bird at the gun flash and stood with her little hands clasped on her head her eyes with their deep light quivering and the whole of her form swinging to and fro from the wild push of sudden terror Then she spoke with a hollow depth which frightened Bob more than the kissing They told me that he was well Gone to his brother somewhere and I thought it wasn't like him to leave me so and Tell me the truth or i'll shake you to pieces No, don't said Bob as she leaped at him. I have had shaking enough Yes, you poor boy and for my sake I am a brute I know tell me the truth if you love me Your father is dead, but they have found his body Do you mean to say that God has been so wicked as to kill my father? God knows best, said Bob. He could think of nothing else to say. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, he never knows anything. He couldn't have known who he was and how terribly I loved him, or he wouldn't have the heart to do it. Oh, you wicked boy. Oh, you wicked boy. I will never forgive you for saving me. Hi-ya, hi-ya, hi-ya bob never saw such a thing before and never will again and he won't be much the loser although the sight was magnificent the screams and shrieks of the clearest voice that ever puzzled echo brought up the landlord and landlady and our good friend rufus hutton who had set forth full speed from home on hearing about the aliwal he caught eoa in his arms carried her back to her room and dosed her He gave her some indian specific some powder of a narcotic fungus, which he had brought on purpose It stupefied her for nearly three days and even then she awoke into the dreamy state of Nirvana That bliss of semi-consciousness like mild annihilation into which the Buddha is absorbed And to which all pious Buddhists look as their eternal happiness Then she opened her delicate tapering arms Where you could see the grand muscles moving, but never once protruding and she called for her darling father to come Finding that he did not come she was satisfied with some trifling answer and then wanted to have Bob instead But neither was Bob forthcoming On the very day when dr. Hutton came to look for Eoa Mr. Garnet found himself getting better from that wretched low nervous fever into which his fright had thrown him then he asked dr. Hutton whether there would be any danger in moving Robert and finding that there would be none whatever if it were carefully managed He ordered a carriage immediately and with some of his ancient spirit the crown which had the crossbar of its end set up the wrong way as Is done by the by on the roof of Hampton Court Chapel and in many other places made public claim to be regarded as a commercial hotel and posting-house no Rushford folk having yet been known to post anything except a letter at rare intervals and a bill at rarer, this claim of the crown had never been challenged, and strangers entertained a languid theoretical faith in it. But Mr. Brown looked very blue when Bull Garnet, in reviving accents, ordered a chaise and pair at the door in half an hour's time, a roomy chaise, if you please, because my son must keep his feet up. Yes, sir. Yes to be sure sir. I quite understand sir. It shall be attended to sir Then why don't you go and order it to be sure sir, I forgot I will speak to mrs. Brown sir Mrs.. Brown being a woman of resource mounted the boy on her donkey the only quadruped she possessed But I want to to go as the boy said when you knows the right place to prog him in and sent him post-haste to lymington whence the required conveyance arrived in about an hour and a half rufus hutton having promised to be at home that evening left Dior to sleep off her heavy soporific and followed the carriage on horseback neither did he leave its track where the ringwood road turns off for he had undertaken to tell sir cradock how his niece was getting on he started nearly half an hour after the lymington chaise for polly would never demean herself by trotting behind the posters During that half-hour he drank hot brown brandy and water Although he could not bear it to ingratiate him with mrs. Brown for the sake of the poor eoa for mrs. Brown had no other hot method of crowning the flowing bowl and Now while I think of it let me warn all gentle and simple people who deign on this tale of the new forest never to ask for pale brandy within the perambulations How do you think they make it by mixing brown brandy with villainous gin? Rufus was up to this of course and as he must take something for the good of the house and to get all the kindly kernel of the heavy-browed hostess he took that which he thought would be least for his own evil Then leaving mrs. Brown who of course had taken her own glass at his sole charge and largesse After 50 times oh no sir never oh lord how my brown would be shocked Having imbued that good mrs. Brown who really was not a bad woman, which means that she was a good one for women have no medium With a strong aromatic impression that he was a pleasant gentleman and no pride Not a bit of it in him no more than you nor me might off he trotted at a furious pace smoking two cheroots at once I Believe that there was and is for I am happy to say that he still inhales the breeze of life down his cigar and Looks browner and redder than ever I Believe that in spite of all his troubles in connection with this story which took a great deal out of him There was and is no happier man in our merry England than the worthy Rufus Hutton and as all happiness is negative and goes without our knowing it, and only becomes a positive past for us to look back upon. So his went before it came, and goes or ere it comes. And yet he enjoys it none the less. He multiplies it by three for the past, and by nine for the future, and he never finds it necessary to deduct for the present moment. Happy man who never thinks beyond salutary average, who can accept in perfect faith. The traditions of his forebears and yet is shrewd enough to hope that his grandsons will discard at least a portion of them Who looks upon the passing life as a thing? He need not move in a world which must improve itself and every day is doing it and all the while He sympathizes with his fellow men enjoys a bit of human nature Laughs at the cross purposes of native truth and training loves whatever he finds to be true and does his best to foster it is pleased with his after-dinner story and feels universally charitable then smiles at his wife and kisses his children and goes to bed with the firm conviction that they are worth all the rest put together yet this man's happiness is not sound because it is built upon selfishness in noelhurst village dr hutton met mark stote the gamekeeper Who begged him to stop for a moment just to hear a word or two? Rufus after hearing his news resolved to take the upper road to the hall past mr. Garnet's house It was not so very far out of his way and perhaps he might be of service there and Ah yes, dr. Hutton this last was the real motive though. You may not have thought so What a fine opportunity to discover something which plagued him Perhaps I ought to say rather the want of which was plaguing him. Rufus took so kind an interest in his neighbors affairs that anything not thoroughly lucillant in their dealings, mode of life, or speech, or management of their households, was to him the subject matter of continual mental scratchings. Ah, how genteel a paraphrase, worthy of Bailey Kettledrum! How happily we have shown our horror of that English monosyllable beginning with the third vowel which must be according to dr aldrich the correlative of scratch score two and go on after dr hutton he overtook the garnets twain just at their front gate whence the house could not be seen on account of a bank of evergreens the maid came out with her cap flying off and all her mind perturbed rufus hutton checking his mare for the road was very narrow heard the entire dialogue oh sir oh master have you heard of it such a thing to be sure heard of what sarah of course i have heard of the great disaster at rushford no no here sir here the two big trees is down on the house it's a mussy as nanny and me wasn't killed and poor miss pearl have been in hysterics ever since without no dinner there you can hear her screeching now worse than the mangle ever so much Mr. Garnet did not say a word, but set off for the house full speed even forgetting that Bob wanted help to get from the gate to the doorway Rufus Hutton jumped down from his mare and called to the driver to come and hold her just for a minute or two No fear of his horse's bolting then helping Bob to limp along he followed through the shrubbery when they came within full view of the house he was quite amazed at the mischief the two oaks interlocked had fallen upon it and crashing as they did from the height above the breaches they made were hideous they had cloven the house into three ragged pieces from the roof ridge down to the first floor where the solid joists had stopped them it had happened in the afternoon of the second day of the tempest when the heart of the storm was broken but tremendous squalls came now and then from the bright northwest Mr. Garnet's own bed was occupied by the tree which he detested Pearl had screamed judgment judgment and danced among the ruins So the maid was telling mr. Garnet as he feared to enter his own door Judgment for what asked Rufus Hutton and mr. Garnet seemed not to hear him I'm sure I don't know sir answered the maid for none of us done any harm sir unless it was the bottle of pickled onions when master were away and there was very few of them left sir very few i do declare to you and we thought they was on the turn sir and it seems such a pity to waste them and please sir we've all been working like horses though frightened out of our lives most and we fetched down all the things from your room where the cupboards was broken open for fraid it should come on to rain sir and we taken all our meals standing sir and made up a bed in the meat screen and another upon the dresser and miss pearl what turns she has given us here she comes i do declare dr hutton said bull garnet hastily good-bye i am much obliged to you i shall see you i hope next week good-bye good-bye excuse me but before he could get him out of the way for rufus lingered strangely pearl garnet came into the little hall with her eyes distended fearfully there there it is she cried there it is i tell you no wonder the tree came down upon it no wonder the house was crushed for it and she pointed to the shattered box tilted up endwise among a heap of account books clothes and furniture oh yes you may look at it to be sure you may look at it god would not have it hidden longer i have done my best god knows and my heart knows and my i mean that man there knows is there anything more i can do for you anything more dear father you have done so much for me you know and i will only ask you one little thing put me in his coffin the girl is raving cried mr garnet poor thing it comes from her mother no, it comes from her father, said Pearl, going boldly up to him and fixing her large bright eyes upon his. Do as you like with me, I don't care, but don't put it on any one else. Oh, father, father, father! Moaning, she turned away from him and then sprang into his arms with shrieks. He lifted her tenderly and forgot all about his own safety. His great tears fell on her wan, sick face and his heavy heart throbbed for his daughter only as he felt hers bounding perilously He carried her off to an inner room and left them to their own devices. I Should like uncommonly said Rufus Hutton rubbing his chin to know what is in that box indeed I feel it my duty at once to ascertain No, you shan't cried Bob limping across in front of it. I know no more than you do sir, but I won't have father's things pried into You are very polite replied the doctor a chip of the old block I perceive But perhaps you will believe me my boy when I tell you that if ever there was a gentleman totally devoid of improper curiosity It is dr. Rufus Hutton sir Oh, I am so glad said bob, because you won't be disappointed then. Rufus grinned in spite of his wrath, but he was not to be baffled so easily. He could not push poor bob aside in his present disabled state without being guilty of cowardice, so he called in an auxiliary. Betsy, my dear, your young mistress wished me just to examine that box be kind enough to bring it to the light here unless it is too heavy for your little hands oh if he had only said miss sarah what a difference it might have made betsy indeed cried sarah who had followed her mistress but being locked out had come back to see the end of it my name sir is nothing so low as that my name is sarah macarnis sir very much at your service and my mother keeps a potato shop the largest business in lyndhurst sir betsy indeed and from a stranger not to say a strange gentleman for fear of making a mistake and as for my hands she thought he had been ironical for her hands were above regulation size my hands are such as please god to make them and honest hands anyhow and doesn't want to interfere with other people's business oh what will poor nanny say to think of me sarah Macarnis, be promiscuous called Betsy? at this moment when sarah Macarnis, having recovered breath was starting into another native discourse on prae nomina and rufus was calling upon his resources for some constitutional measure Bull garnet came back treading heavily defiant of all that the world could do His quick eyes never glimpsing that way, but taking in all the room at once Espied the box unmeddled with and Bob upon guarding in front of it He was his own man now again. What did he care for anybody so long as he had his children? Dr. Hutton, I thought that you were gone you see I am NOT said rufus squaring his elbows and looking big for he was a plucky little fellow and What's more? I don't mean to go till I know what is in that box 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 cried Bull Garnet striking his enormous forehead as if to recall something have we a box of yours dr. Hutton No, no that box of yours your daughter told us to examine it and From her manner. I believe that I am bound to do so Bound to examine one of my boxes Bull garnet never looked once that way and Rufus took note of the strange avoidance My boxes are full of confidential papers surely sir you have caught my daughters I mean to say you are laboring under some hallucination There are no papers in that box the contents of it are metal i have seen one article already through the broken cover and shall not forget its shape beware there have been strange things done in this neighborhood if you refuse to allay my suspicions you confirm them the only answer he received was a powerful hand at the back of his neck a sensation of being lifted with no increase of facilities for placid respiration finally a lateral movement of great rapidity through the air and a loud sound as of a bang. Recovering reason's prerogative he found himself in a dahlia, whose blossoms, turned into heel balls by the recent frost, were flapping round his countenance, and whose stake had gone through his waistcoat back, and grazed his coxswain dicks, or something he knows best what it was, as a medical man deeply interested. He had also a very unpleasant reminiscence of some such words as these to which he had no responsive power You won't take a hint like a gentleman. So take a hit like a blackguard Dr.. Rufus Hutton was not the man to sit down quietly under an insult of any sort at The moment he felt that brute force was irresistibly in the ascendant and he was wonderfully calm about it He shook himself and smoothed his waistcoat and tried the stretch of his garters, then never once looked toward the house, never shook his fists, nor frowned, even he walked off to his darling Polly as if nothing at all had happened, gave the man a shilling for holding her after looking long for a sixpence, then mounted and rode towards Nowelhurst Hall, showing no emotion whatever. Only Polly knew that burning tears of a brave man's sense of ignominy. Fell upon her glossy shoulder and were fiercely wiped away at the hall He said nothing about it never even mentioned that he had called at Garnet's cottage But told Sir Cradock like a true man of Eoa's troubles of her poor forlorn condition and power of heart to feel it He even contrived to interest the bereaved man now so listless in the young life thrown upon his care as if by the breath of heaven we are never so eloquent for another as when our own hearts are moved deeply by the feeling of wrong to ourselves, unless indeed we are very small, and that subject excludes all others. So it came to pass that the grand new carriage was ordered to the door, and Sir Cradock would himself have gone. Only Rufus Hutton had left him, and the eloquence was oozing the old man therefore turned back on the threshold saying to himself that it would be hardly decent to appear in public yet and Mrs.. O'Gaim was sent instead sitting inside and half afraid to breathe for fear of the crystal as For her clothes they were good enough. She knew for the Lord Mayor's coach Five and sixpence a yard ma'am leave alone trimming and binding But knowing what she did of herbs. She could not answer for the peppermint of Course they did not intend to fetch poor EOA home yet, but biddy had orders to stay there until the young lady was movable Biddy took to her at once in her heavy long-drawn sleep with the soft black lashes now and then lifting from the rich brown cheek and If she isn't elegant then said biddy to mrs. Brown Ain't me we out a purity I'll come over the blue missus Zazins, then if me and Pat had only got a child this day belikes ma'am for the matter of that a drop of whiskey disagrees with you Biddy feeling strongly moved and burning to drink her new child's health showed a bottle of brown pateen To tell you the truth ma'am," said mrs. Brown. I know nothing about them subjects Spirit liquors is a thing as has always been beyond me then I'll clap it away again said biddy and the devil only the wiser i never takes it alone ma'am it would ill become me ma'am replied mrs brown to be churlish in my own house ma'am i have heard of you very often ma'am yes i assure you i have from the people as comes to bathe here as a lady of great experience in diseases of the chest if you recommend any cordial ma'am on the strength of your experience for a female of weak vitality i should take it as a duty ma'am strictly as a duty to my husband and two daughters all right then i'm your female me vitality goes crossways like till i has a drop o' the crater and so they made a night of it and mr brown had some end of chapter six